tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Word of God. We're going to be talking a little bit about forgiveness, a little bit about love. Um, it's interesting because oftentimes we have life-changing moments that happen because of a few choice words. For example, when you hear from your child, I passed. Or, I'm graduating, mom and dad, contrary to what you think. The first time that you maybe uh, hear that uh, from your college students, uh, I got a job in a relationship. I love you, right? Or better yet, will you marry me? There's moments in life when a few words change your whole life. There's moments where it's like, uh, it's a girl, it's a boy, it's triplets, you know? These moments in life when your life changes drastically. But also there's moments when it changes it for the other way. Sometimes I lost my job, got laid off, I got fired. The business is going bankrupt. I can't do this anymore. I want a divorce. Or, sorry to tell you this, but it's terminal. There are just moments in life when a few words change your life drastically. It's interesting today is what we know as Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode on that donkey through Jerusalem, and all the town had their palm leaves. And remember what they said? Hosanna. Blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Rescue. Save us. And the very next week, what do they say? Crucify him. A few words change history. Palm Sunday was a day that Jesus' earthly ministry is coming to an end. And really what he wanted to let us know, let the people, the Israelites know, that their sins are forgiven. And can I just tell you this, church, tonight, your sins are forgiven. Can I get an amen? amen? Your sins are forgiven. And so, yeah, you can clap on that. That's all good. It's all good, right? See, I love this church. When your heart wants to respond, respond. When your heart wants to speak out amen, when your heart wants to clap, you do it because that's the spirit of God in you. You know what that proves is that you're alive, that the spirit of God is alive in you. So please respond to what the word of God says. Because tonight we're going to be talking about a story most of you know. It's out of Luke chapter 36 through 50. And it's a story of the sinful woman who anoints Jesus. And many of you have heard this story before, and I want to share a couple things that would be of an encouragement from you, for you. But tonight's Bible study is called Much Love from the Forgiven. Much Love from the Forgiven. So if you can turn there with me real quick, Luke chapter 36, I'm going all the way to verse uh, 50. And as we look at this today, that we'd be able to see us in the midst of this uh, passage, how the Lord wants to speak to each and every single one of us. But in verse 36, it says this, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house, is referring to Jesus, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a, dun-dun-dun, what? Sinner. 
a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a... Dun, dun, dun. What? A sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There, were, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing which to repay, he freely forgave. If you have a writing utensil, highlighter, eyeliner, lipstick, underline that. He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon answered and I said, and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven." For she loved much. But to him whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father God, may that be the cry of our heart today, that we would hear from you that our sins are forgiven, that our faith has healed us, that you tell us to go in peace. And so now, God, as we look at your word, help us to look at you. Help us to see you, your character and your love and your faithfulness. And we pray tonight, God, if there are some here tonight who don't know that they're forgiven or who maybe have forgotten that they've been forgiven by the Savior, Father, you would speak to their hearts. So we thank you, Lord, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's kids said, Amen. Amen. So here's this beautiful passage about a story of a Pharisee, a religious ruler who invites Jesus to his home. And as we look at this, we wonder, why would this Pharisee want to bring in this rabbi? Maybe to get a closer look? Maybe he genuinely want to know, is this rabbi, this Jesus, the real deal? Or maybe it was a trap. Maybe it was to to see, is he he all that he's cracked up to be? Maybe to discredit him. There's a couple reasons why he might have invited him. No matter what, he wanted to investigate. All throughout history, there have been men and women who tried to investigate the reality of Jesus Christ, correct? There's a man by Josh McDowell. He was a law student, and he had some Christian friends. 
And his Christian friends challenge him. He says, do an intellectual investigation on the claims of Jesus. And tell us what you find out. As Josh McDowell investigated in evidence after evidence, he comes up and says, Jesus is real. He was an agnostic. And now he has written many books. He was here some, some years ago, with, uh, and he has written the book, More Than a Carpenter. Uh, the Case for Christ. How many of you guys have heard of Lee Strobel, correct? He was a flat-out atheist, and he looked at Christianity as a weak religion. That was until his wife gives her life to the Lord. And he also begins to investigate. He starts to search the scriptures. And most of you guys know what happened. Bam, he gets saved. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, If you seek me with all your heart, guess what? You're going to find me. And maybe you might be here today and you've been seeking. And maybe you understand religion and you understand tradition and you understand rituals, but you don't understand Jesus. Investigate him. Search him out. This book that you hold in your hands. Let me see your Bible. Can I see your Bible? If you don't have one, grab one in front of you there. Okay. This is evidence for what we believe, church. Amen? This is why we sing. This is why we share. What is contained here is the reason why you and I are going to heaven. This is why. So the motive of this individual, this Pharisee, was to investigate. Well, what happens here? And behold, the Bible says a woman who was a what? Interesting enough, how would they know she's a sinner? I don't know about you, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sin and fall short of the glory of... So last time I checked, we all sinners, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're, you're a sinner. Tell them that. If you know that person, say, you're, really good, you're a really good sinner. Tell them that. If you know them, you, you can be personal like that, right? Well, back in the day, there weren't too many sins that a woman would be visibly noticed that she was a sinner unless she was a prostitute because they would dress provocatively maybe. Maybe she looked a certain way so it can be safe to assume that she was a sinner because she lived a life of prostitution. It doesn't tell us how she became a prostitute. Maybe uh, her mother was a prostitute. Maybe she was abused as a child. Maybe she was raped as a teenager. Maybe she was a widow trying to make ends meet for her children. Who knows the reason? But we do know this, that the road that she chose was a tough one. The life of prostitution, of giving up her physical body for the pleasure of other people, that was tough. Could you imagine your life being spent on that? She had been beat down and maybe beat up. She had been shunned by society. She was probably the continual object of the jokes. Could you imagine the mothers? Here she is in the marketplace grabbing a couple items and all the mothers looking to their daughters. See that woman? If you don't listen to me and you're not obedient, you're going to turn out like her, right? They almost use her as a bad example. She, she was looking for love in all the wrong places. She was broken and her spirit was wounded. She had hit rock bottom. Maybe you know what she's going through. You get her. You understand what that's like. You understand what it is 
to be broken and to be wounded, you've had your fair share of failures, unwise decisions, impulsive choices. You've become humiliated, miserable in your sin. You've maybe been ostracized from your family. Maybe your career has, has fumbled and you're, you've, you, you've you, ruined your reputation. You've messed up your relationships with your loved ones. And that's what sin does. There is a quote that says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you far more, far more than you want to pay. So she was notarized as a sinner. But not only that, she wasn't invited. Who would invite the sinful woman to the dinner party? I love this. This Pharisee had a home fellowship. That's what was going on. And he had this dinner party. And back in the day, if your neighbor was having a party, if you were their neighbor, you could actually come into the house. You would stand against the wall and you just observe what's going on. But I guarantee you, this woman was not wanted. This woman was not invited. But the thing I love about her, she was bold. She was going to a place that she knew she probably would be rejected. She went into the home of a Pharisee, a woman with a sinful reputation, walking to a home of a religious ruler. It took courage. It took some determination. But she wanted to be there. What was her motivation? I bet you this. She heard about Jesus. She heard these rumors. She heard Jesus Nothing's impossible for him. She had heard his teaching. She had heard forgiveness, love, restoration. She had heard these things. She had heard that if you want to be part of God's kingdom, you can be his child. Even, maybe for the first time, she's like, I can be part of a family? She had never heard this before. And here she is in this place where she finds herself in the house of Simon the Pharisee. I wonder if she heard about the paralyzed man earlier in the book of Luke. Do you remember the story? The paralyzed man, his friends drop him from the roof. And Jesus tells this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. All right, cool. But not only that, take up your bed and walk. Can you imagine this sinful woman having this conversation? And you know what? He told me to take my bed, my mat, and I walked home. What about the widow's son from Nain? Could you imagine that testimony? Here he is, like, uh, it was my funeral, and uh, I was in this coffin, and they were carrying me. Then Jesus came, and he said, arise, and guess what, dude? I rose up. Could you imagine that testimony? I was, like, dead, and now I'm alive. What a crazy testimony. And if you can imagine this sinful woman hearing these things, what it must have done to her. If he can do that, if Jesus can raise from the dead and make the lame man walk, what more could he do for me? Can I, can I segue a little bit here? You've got a testimony. You've got a story. And you know what? The hero of your story, his name is Jesus. He's the rescuer. He's the superhero. So whether you grew up in the church or you stayed away from church, whether you did drugs, sex, and rock and roll, whether you carried your Bible every day matters not. You have a hero. 
who has rescued you, and that is your testimony. And guess what? We get to tell people that story. This is such a great week, folks. It's called the Passion Week with Good Friday, with Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. You have an opportunity because you know what people are going to ask you at work and you're never, what are you doing for Easter? What are you going to say? I'm going to church. Jesus, you know, he rose from the dead. That is your story. So church, I love the fact that God has given us this opportunity to share his goodness. Interesting enough, what happens here, this woman, she goes here, but the Bible says that she had this alabaster flask of fragrant oil. During that period of time, women would have a necklace or a rope or a cord, and attached to them would be something like this, a little, little container. And in that container would be this fragrant oil, perfume, something valuable. And typically, that would be given to someone that's worth it, maybe a suitor or a fiancé or someone that would, would steal their heart away. And so this woman, this sinful woman, Hears about Jesus, Simon the Pharisee's house, and she makes her way. And could you imagine that? She's walking there, and she has this alabaster flask. And I wonder if she's holding it, thinking, i got to do something with this. I've heard about Jesus. I know he can do anything. I've got to do something with this. And as we read, what does she do? She purposes in her heart. Can I tell you this, church? She went to Simon the Pharisee's house because she had a purpose. She took this alabaster flask on purpose. When you come to church, come with a purpose. Come with a mere fact. When I go to church, I want to hear from God. When I come to church, I want to worship God. When I come to church, I want to pray for someone next to me. Come to the house of God with a purpose. And that's what she did. She came into Simon's uh, house, the Pharisee, and this is a beautiful thing. What she did was she stood at his feet behind him weeping. You got to get the picture here. This, this illustration doesn't do justice, but during that time, it wouldn't be like our typical dinner table that you would have in your home that's a little bit elevated, but they'd be these low-lying tables, and there were no chairs, and so your guests around this little dinner table you would take off your sandals, you would lay on your left uh, arm and face the table with your body um, stretched out. And so the Bible says that she stood at his feet. If you could imagine, here is Jesus and his feet are here. She's standing behind his feet. And I don't know all that transpired, but what starts to happen, she begins to weep. Being in the mere presence of Jesus affected her, impacted her. Being in his presence, maybe being overwhelmed with emotions, maybe regrets, maybe failures, conversation. Could you imagine? Here she is in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the healer, and she begins to weep. Maybe the toughness of her life begins to melt away in the presence of the Savior. Maybe the Spirit convicts her. Maybe the Spirit brings comfort. But no matter what, she begins to weep. 
We've had those moments, haven't we? Maybe here in this very sanctuary where you're overwhelmed, you're overcome by the Spirit of God, and you can't help but lift your hands. For those that worship with your hands up, anyone here, when you worship, you raise your hands up? Yeah, anybody? Okay. Do you remember the first time you did that? I remember my first time. It was in college, right? And you feel the Spirit of God. Okay, I, I, I want to, I want to. And you kind of do this. Oh, is anyone looking? I don't know, I don't know. Uh, and you do the halfway, and then afterwards, like, oh, no, no, you put it down. You know, and, and, you, and it, every time it gets a little bit higher, and you put it down, and you put it down. And then all of a sudden, bam, right? Some of us do the one-handed worship. Bam, bam, right? Some of us do the worship like this. But you're overwhelmed. And let me tell you this. We're not overwhelmed by music. We're not overwhelmed by lyrics. We're overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. When you hear the word, right? Faith comes by hearing and the hearing of the word of God. You're, you, when you read the scriptures and it convicts you or it comforts you. How about anyone here going through a trial? Raise your hand, you're going to trial because we want to pray for you, right? In the middle of your trial, you experience this perfect peace that surpasses all others, and you're like, I don't get it. I should be crying right now, but I have a smile. When you're lacking something, maybe you're in need, and all of a sudden God provides. And you're like, Where did this come from? Oh. There are moments in life when you're absolutely overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I believe that's what happened here. Let's reflect on that. Let's pause as a, as a psalmist say, let's selah. My selah is this. Whoa. When things happen, it's like, wow. When was the last time you said, wow, to God? And maybe you get overwhelmed in the sunset or in the mountains or you get overwhelmed in the little things that happen. You get overwhelmed when you pray, God, give me a parking space. And guess what? He gives you a parking space, right? God, when I come to church, I hope no one's sitting in my reserved seat, you know? I mean, there's these things that we put in our mind, correct? Right? Let's remember to get overwhelmed by the presence of God. Like this woman. She was there and she began to weep. A.W. Tozer says this, nothing in or of this world measures up to the simple pleasure of experiencing the presence of God. Nothing compares to it. The greatness of knowing him. Psalm 1611 simply says, you will show me the path of light. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hands are pleasures evermore. As I begin to think about this, what begins to happen now is this. As she is there, tears start to roll down her eyes. And she's standing, and Jesus' feet there. And her tears begin to wash his dirty feet. Remember, back in the day, they didn't have shoes like us. They wore open sandals. And it was dirt roads, so you better believe their, their feet got dirty. And so they had come into this home with dirty feet, and here she begins to weep. And I don't know about you... I don't cry a lot, but maybe those of you that cry and get emotional, that's a lot of tears. It's not like <laughs> one tear to wipe his feet. It's like, <laughs> uh, I'm a, poor, a terrible crier. But I mean, could you imagine? It washes his feet. What amount of tears? That's, I can't even imagine, right? 
I don't think I could even spit that much, you know? I mean, think about it. It's like, what amount of tears? And not only that, what did she do? She knelt down, took her hair, and washed and dried his dirty, now clean feet with her hair. This is wild. Because we, we, we don't see this. As I start to think about this, I start to think there's something here. See, during this period of time, if you were a good host and you invited uh, a guest, what you would typically do, because their feet were dirty, you would actually have your servant. As soon as someone entered in, took out their sandals, came in the room, your servant would come with a basin of water and a towel, and they would typically wash your feet. That's the norm. But that didn't happen. Instead, this woman, this sinful woman with his reputation, cries a river and dries Jesus' feet with her hair. But not only that happens, another tradition, <laughs> let me say this. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't really get that because we don't do that nowadays. When my kids... Their hands are dirty. I was like, go in the bathroom, wash your hands, right? That's what we do. Well, about two and a half years ago, we went to, a, to northern Uganda to a Sudanese refugee camp. And we were there. It was one of our very first meals. And before the meal, they came around this little bowl. I was like, ooh, soup, right? And so here, they're bringing it around. They bring it to me. I was like, oh. And I look, and it's just water. I was like, oh, am I supposed to drink this? But I know I shouldn't drink the water because my stomach will get all messed up. And I'm just going through my mind, what should I do? Should I not? Should I not? Right? You know, and I got to take a modium. And then, oh, all these kind of things are going through my head. Right? But, Lord, the Lord is in this. I know I'll take care of it. And so I grab for the bowl. And the woman's like, mm-mm. You know? She goes like this. She motions and like this. And what I didn't notice, there was a bar of soap in there. I was like, praise God, I didn't drink that water, right, you know? And, and I realized she wants me to wash my hands before the meal. And I was like, that's, that's awesome. That's not only practicing hygiene, it's practicing hospitality. See, the idea that this guest is very important. And we will do whatever we can to honor our guest. But that didn't happen here. Simon the Pharisee didn't offer a cleansing of Jesus' feet. But this sinful woman, this prostitute did. The second thing that happened was she kissed his feet. During that time frame, we we know from the letters, Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss, right? That the the custom was when uh, someone would come in your home, you would kiss them on the cheek. It's a sign of affection, a sign of love, a sign of importance. But that didn't happen with Jesus and Simon. And finally, when someone would come into your home, you would take some anointing oil and you would pour it over their head. A sign of importance, of love, of affection. Almost this oil of gladness, as the Bible talks about. Almost saying, tonight, I I pour this oil over you as a sign of gladness that we'll have great fellowship tonight. But that didn't happen. But this woman humbly comes and takes her most prized possession, breaks off the cap, and pours it on Jesus' feet. 
And you can imagine, as she broke that open, the room filled with this beautiful scent. If you've ever been in a room where they have, is it called potpourri, air freshener, Lysol, right? Whatever, whatever your pleasure is, you spray that. Ah, right? Instantly. And I could imagine all the people looking. I could imagine the people seeing what is going on here. That this woman of a sinful background would give to this rabbi they call Jesus, this good teacher. What begins to happen now is this, real simply. In verse 39, it says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to him, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what, who and what manner this woman is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. So Simon, the Pharisee here, the host, he's observing all that's going on. He's a bit appalled. If this man were a prophet, he would know that she sleeps around with other men. She, he would know that she has sex for money. If he were a godly, holy man, he would know that she's no good, that she's dirty, that she's unclean. It was almost, Simon says, he can touch her, but you know what? Ain't touching her with a 10-foot pole. Keep your distance because we understand if someone who was unclean would touch someone who was clean, that person who was clean would become what? Unclean. And Simon, he was a good Pharisee, and he always wanted to appear clean. Could you imagine the bystanders almost gasping? (gasps) She's touching him. One thing for the tears to fall. Another thing for her to wash his feet with her hair and then to kiss his feet and then to anoint his feet with his fragrant oil. (coughs) This interaction, it, what's the word we use? It It was scandalous. Why would this prophet allow this sinner to touch him? Church, thank you, God, that he allows us to touch him. Amen? He is approachable. Children would come to Jesus. He says, if you want to go to heaven, guess what? You got to be like this little child and have this childlike faith. Remember the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years? She said what? If I could only touch the hem of his garment, his robe, I'll be healed. And I want you to keep this in mind. Remember in the story... There was a crowd around Jesus. And she said, if I could touch the hem of his garment. The hem is the bottom of the robe. So she could not touch the hem of his robe while standing. You know why you envision? She's on her hands and knees. Touching the hem of his garment. She was desperate. But she was motivated. Why? Because she believed, she had faith. If I could just touch, I'll be healed. This sinful woman, if I could just get close to him, I'll be forgiven. To what great lengths have you gone to draw close to Jesus? 
Zacchaeus was a wee wee man, a wee wee man he was. He climbed up what? A sycamore tree. Imagine this. Jesus is coming through town. Zacchaeus climbs a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. How odd would that be? Anyone here ever been to the Main Street Electrical Parade at Disneyland, right? Could you imagine Mickey Mouse coming down and for me to climb up on the lamppost? Hey, Mickey, would I look ridiculous? A grown man climbing just to see Jesus, just to see Mickey Mouse, right? But here, people went to great lengths to get close. When was the last time that you pushed everything aside to draw close to Jesus? I don't know about you, but our world is filled with noise and stuff that keep us from Jesus. And God, Jesus says this. He breaks the awkward silence. Can you imagine all this is going on and people are just watching, almost in disbelief. What is going on here? And Jesus said, I have something to say to you. There's a certain creditor. He had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, another 50. He freely forgives them both. And Jesus asked, which one do you think is going to be more appreciative? Which one do you think is going to be jumping up and down? Well, the one he forgave more, the one who owned, owed 500 denarii. And Jesus is like, good answer, Simon. You understand the parable, but now will you apply it to your life? Do you see yourself in this? Here, Simon the Pharisee is pointing his finger at the sinful woman. And yes, her sins are observable, but his sins are subtle. Her sins are external, and his sins are internal. Sin is sin, is it not? Whether seen or unseen. What did Jesus say? Hey, if you look lustfully at a woman, guess what? You've committed adultery in your heart. If you hate your brother, guess what? You've already committed murder. So I love what Jesus is saying here. He's like, Simon, here's an opportunity. Do you get it? Whether you owe 50 or 500, I forgive it all. You're freely forgiven. Jesus attempts to convey this forgiveness of debt. He's almost like, Simon, do you hear the story? Do you, do you, you see yourself in this? Turn real quick to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. This is David and helping us to understand the importance of being forgiven. Psalm 32, just looking at the first couple of verses. <clears throat> David, this is a meditation, a thought from David. But he understands his sin. He understands how far he has drifted. He understands what he has done. And in Psalm 32, verse 1, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Let me read another version. It says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Amen. God has forgiven my disobedience. And whose sin is put out of sight. Amen. He's put my sin out of his sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. God has cleared you of guilt. Your record is clean. Your debt has been paid. To be released from the debt. Because back in the day, if you were not able to pay a debt... 
you would be thrown, that person you owed, you would be thrown into what's called debtor's prison. To where you would have to do time to make amends for that payment or what you owed. There's a TV show, reality show called uh, Undercover Boss. How many of you guys have seen that? What it is, it's the CEO of this company. These companies go and they disguise themselves to look like an average Joe employee. And they would go in the company and work these uh, different jobs so they can get an idea of what it's like to be at an entry-level position, a managerial position, whatnot. And the CEO will sometimes discover, hey, I have good employees and I have bad employees. And at the end, he's sitting down with them in his, without the disguise, without the accent, as himself as a CEO. And these people would come and he says, do you recognize me? And they'll look at him and say, hey, you were that guy. Hey, I recognize you now. And he says, yes, now I am the CEO. And during his time with them as he's under disguise, some of them will share, you know what, I'm, I'm in a lot of debt. And, you know, I'm working this job, I'm working two jobs, or my wife is ill, and she has these medical bills, and so I'm trying to make ends meet so we can pay, or my son has these student loans. And one of the coolest things that happen, uh, for the most part, is at the very end, he'll say, hey, great job, you were an inspiration, I really like how you treated these customers, and he'll say, you know what, from what I've seen, I like to... These student loans that you have, I'd like to give you $10,000 to pay off those student loans. Hey, these medical bills that your wife has, I'd like to give you $15,000 to cover that. And I don't know about you, but could you imagine that? Here you are just being faithful in your job. And all of a sudden, the CEO says, here you go. That debt is erased. What you owe, nullified. It's erased. And you know the reaction of these people? This is not the reaction. Oh, cool. That's not the reaction. There are tears. They're jumping up for joy. There's one episode. There's a woman. uh, I can't remember what, what company she worked for, but she's been living in a homeless shelter. And the owner of the company says, I have a check for $125,000 for you to move into our home. And she literally falls out the chair and is on the ground crying. Wow. And that's just money. How much more when God forgives us of our sins? Monetary possessions just keep us well on earth. But forgiveness of sins gives us entrance into heaven. And that's what we're talking about tonight. See, Jesus talks to this woman, and he says real simply in verse 44, do you see this woman, you know? Do you see this woman, her act of love? Jesus says, I entered your house. You know what? You gave me no water for my feet, but this woman hasn't ceased to wipe my feet with her tears and wash my feet with her hair. And I came in and you gave me no kiss, but this woman has ceased. She has not stopped kissing my feet. And I came and you didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. See, Simon the Pharisee, he denied these common courtesies to Jesus. But he says, but this woman... 
this woman gave me love. And in verse 47, it says, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. To whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. He says, her sins are many. But because of much love, much tears, much kisses, much oil, her sins are forgiven. There's a gratitude. There's an appreciation. Her thankfulness, it's visible. People saw that she was thankful. But I love this because Jesus not only addresses the people and says, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But you got to get this. I love this. When in verse 48, it says, then he said to her. He's saying in general, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. And then he turns to her. And he looks her in the eye. And he says, your sins are forgiven. We talked about words that transform and change her life. These words change her life. They transformed her. And maybe not outwardly, but inwardly. Something happened to her as a result of this. Jesus was personal with her. And you know what? I believe she needed to hear it. It was nice that Jesus said it in a general statement to everybody, but he made sure that she heard that her sins were forgiven from him. I think we're like that at times, don't we? Aren't we? We need to hear it. How many here, when someone has wronged you, you need to hear the apology? Right? You need to hear, I'm sorry, right? None of this, I'm sorry, you know? None none of the mumbling, but you need to hear that this person is apologetic, right? We're no different. And I love this because Jesus knows that we need to hear it. Sometimes Jesus will speak in that still small voice, doesn't he? In the quiet of everything, he reminds you, peace, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. There are just moments when the Lord will speak to us. And not only do we need to hear it, the world needs to hear it. Many years ago, um, a famous preacher from the Billy Graham Association, Pastor Ross Rhodes, who's with the Lord now, I remember he was here and he would often say at the end of the Bible study or as an application to the Bible study, he's like, you know what, guys? You need to let the world know. Tell them that their sins are forgiven. And what a reaction you'll get from them. Could you imagine that? I dare you. Go to someone this week. And in the midst of your conversation, hey, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Whether they respond or not, I guarantee you they're going to think about it that night. Why did that person say my sins are forgiven? Do they know my sins? Did someone tell them my sins? Why do I need to be forgiven? Could you imagine what starts the wheels start turning, correct? And it says, hey, you know, you said my sins are forgiven. Do you know my sins? No, I don't. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible? Yeah. You want to see where it says it? Luke chapter 7, verse 47. See what I'm talking about? You got this beautiful testimony when Jesus said to you and I, your sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. And this world needs to know it. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that we were once lost and now we're found. 
Let's not forget that we were once dead and we're now alive. It should cause an inexpressible joy in our hearts. It's Easter. Easter is coming. In a week from the day, we're going to be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Actually, a week from now, you'll be celebrating the aftermath, right? It'll be 7.30, right? And you're like, if you come to sunrise service, don't forget sunrise service, okay? 6 a.m. parking lot, right? But you'll be like, whoa, it was an awesome day. I believe Big Daddy Weave, they sing a song. Is it overwhelmed? Redeemed, right? And just that, that fact that we've been, rede- we've been bought. There is a whole bunch of things, and Jesus says, I pick you. And I love you. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your, fle- your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. She could only come to Jesus in this way unless Jesus had moved within her. What was once dead is now alive. I have a funny story. So we have four kids. And one of our pets is a tortoise, Rocky, but she's a girl, okay? I'll tell you later if you want to know how do I know she's a girl, okay? So we typically take Rocky out, and she run, not runs, tortoises don't run, but she roams, and she eats some grass. And on Tuesday, my son, who was on spring break, he let her out. And a couple hours later, we go out, and we cannot find Rocky. My wife, I'm like, oh, a hawk took him. You know, I'm just like, uh uh-oh, it's over. There's an animal that came and took Rocky. Well, obviously, this tortoise, our kids love, right? And so they're just heartbroken. They're just like, oh, and and we've kind of, and my wife, though, woman of faith, like, let's not give up hope. You know, he could still be somewhere. And we start to drive around, try to locate Rocky. Our neighbor um, he's had tortoises, and like, you know what? She's probably somewhere around. I'm, I, I'm me of little faith. Nope, she's gone. She's dead. She's roadkill. She's, it's, she's a goner, right? This is me, right? Well, yesterday, um, our neighbors, our, the neighbor kids come and hang out, and they were cutting down some things here and there, and our neighbor's like, there's your tortoise. He was in this little corner of our backyard for four days. And all the kids were in there, and they came out, Rocky, Rocky. And you can't do much with a tortoise. I mean, you know, you just kind of hold them up, Rocky, 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 right? You know, there's not much to do. But why do we share that? In my mind, he was dead. He was in an animal's stomach. I'm going to tell you the truth. That's what I thought. But little did I know, he was hidden. Well, I thought he was dead, but now he's alive. That's what they thought about our Jesus. They thought he was dead. But you know what, church? He's alive. He's alive and well. And he's living inside of us. And he's living inside of you. And that's the impact of this story, of this passage. Because Jesus finally says, your faith, he's speaking to this woman still, your faith has saved you. What you believe about me is true. And if what you believe about me is true, guess what? That's what saves you. Let me just tell you, church, don't listen to what people say. Listen to what God says. His word stands. The grass will wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of God endures forever. 
you hang on to this. When the world tells you you can't believe in Jesus, when the world says he's left you, what you can say is what? My God will never leave me or forsake me. To everything that the world says, guess what? You got an answer. And your answer is true. And so as I think about this, Jesus says, your faith has saved you to this woman. We know in Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith. Give me faith to trust what you say. What does the Bible say? If we have faith as small as a, we can move. Let me tell you this, church. Anyone facing a mountain right now? Something in front of you that it seems like there's no way I can get through? Have faith. Have faith to believe, even if it's faith as small as a mustard seed. Uh, and I'll tell you this. Pray, pray big. Pray, God, either move this, this huge mountain in my life or, God, give me strength so I can climb that mountain. One or the other, God. But because I have faith, and this woman had faith, and this faith saved her. And finally, Jesus says this. That this faith that she had, see, faith believes the unbelievable, doesn't it? Uh, faith hears the inaudible, and faith does the impossible. She did what no one else would do, and she believed. And finally, he says, Now go in peace. I love this because peace is something that maybe she has never experienced in a very long time. Peace was something that maybe she had not even remembered as a child. How many of you remember back in the day when you were a kid and you had not a care in the world, right? Our kids do that now. Yesterday we live in a cold and they were playing till the sun went down as if nothing, right? Do you remember some of you who's be out and just playing and, and just gallivanting and, and just enjoying life. And what happens? You grow up and you got bills. You got a mortgage. You got a car payment. You got a job, right? And that, that innocence, that peace somehow gets sucked out of us. Jesus saw her. He says, your faith has saved you. He said, now go in peace. He didn't say, let me give you some peace for now. He says, go. It's an action. It's a command. He's saying, as you go, you will experience my perfect peace. Sometimes it's like, I'm waiting. Where's the peace? I'm waiting. Where's the provision? I'm waiting. Where's the love? Jesus told this woman, go. Go in peace. Go and experience what I have for you. A couple of things tonight. Um, my brothers and sisters, remember his presence. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, right? For I am with you. Be not dismayed for I'm your God. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. And maybe tonight you just need to know his presence is with you. Number two, his forgiveness is for you tonight. And maybe that's where some of you are at. Maybe you've done something. You've held on to something that's holding you back from moving forward. We know in 1 John 1, 9, what does it say? 
right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to do that. And finally tonight, his love is for you. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates to us that he loved us, that he, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love by dying for us. You know, in about less than a month, um, Friday, May 10th, we have this opportunity. And I didn't plan this, and it's just kind of interesting how God lays things out. We'll be co-laboring with Hope Central Watts and Barrett Elementary School, and we will be hosting a mother and son dance. Barrett Elementary School is in South L.A., and a majority of the mothers who have sons at this school, they're actually prostitutes. And so Pastor Jose, it was in his heart to do a mother and son dance. To give quality time for these sons with their mothers. Could, could you imagine going to elementary school and your mother is a prostitute? Could you imagine the other kids at your school knowing that your mother is a prostitute? Could you imagine the conversations that transpire because they know and they've seen your mother on the corner. A lot of these boys have been bullied or they become the one who bullies. And we have this unique opportunity to take these 78 fifth grade boys, give them a suit, fix their hair, to give them some dignity. And that their mothers would come. They would share a meal together. They would take a little prom picture <laughs> to the dance. You know what my prayer is? Yes, for the son, but for some of those moms. To be able to say to some of those moms, your sins are forgiven. This lifestyle you live he knows, and he wants to forgive you. I don't know what these kids are going through, but I do know this, that I love a God who forgives, that he forgives my sins and the sins of those that are around. And so tonight, I'd like to challenge ourselves. I'd like to challenge ourselves tonight and say, God, do, do I fully understand how much you've forgiven me? And as a result, to your forgiveness, God, I want to love you back. I want to give you my life. I want to give you my hands. I want to give you my feet. I want to give you my voice. Because you've done so much for me, God, I want to love you back with my life. And so tonight, as we close in a time of worship, I want to spend some time just, just praying, asking the Lord to show us, to show you, to show me. This woman with a sinful reputation came into a home maybe thinking she was going to be rejected, but she was accepted by the Savior. And not only was she accepted by the Savior, she received forgiveness. You, your sins are forgiven. Four words that radically changed her life.
in your life, what are those words that have radically changed your life? I'm sure there have been. I'm sure there have been some words that people have spoken to you that you're radically different today. And so as we pray tonight, I believe there might be some here today, God's prompting you to come back. Come back to him. And and maybe there are some here today, you need to make a decision for Jesus. You've been living out in the world way too long, and he's saying, come on home. And so tonight as we worship, we're going to take some time and do that. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to come to you tonight, and we ask Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts. You know the things that are going on. You know the issues of life. You know the areas, God, that have been so difficult for some of us here. And God, we, we want to come and ask, God, that you would touch us, you would heal us, you would provide for us, that, God, you would remind us of your great and amazing love. And, God, that we're forgiven. So, Lord, would you just even prompt our hearts tonight that you would show us how much you love us and that love would continue on. It wouldn't end here, but we would see your hand of kindness, your grace, even after tonight, Lord. Thank you that your love is not contained in the church, but your love is Jesus. And so, thank you, God, for what you're doing and And God, I even pray now, Lord, if there be some here tonight that you've drifted from God and he's calling you back into a right relationship. If there's some here tonight, you've never made a stand. You've never made a commitment for Jesus. You've been wavering. You've been religious, but you haven't had that relationship with him. That tonight, God is looking for you. God is pursuing you. God wants you. And so if that's you today, I'm going to ask that if you want to rededicate your life or give your life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Raise your hand that God would uh, take you back. God bless you right there. God bless you there. Anyone else that you want to make your God bless you over there. God sees these hands. He's loving on these hands. God bless you over there, sir. Anyone else? God bless you in the back right there. God is saying, come on home. God is saying, come. Come home. So I can forgive you. So I can love you. So I can embrace you. Anyone else? God sees those hands. Awesome. God bless you right there, sir. Our sins are forgiven. And so with that, God bless you over there. We're going to have the pastors come down. And if you raise your hand, I want to challenge you. Jesus hung publicly on a cross for us. He gave up his body, his blood, his life for us. And maybe tonight you just need to make that public stand. Not for anyone else, just for you and Jesus. And so if that's you, I'm going to ask you to step up. Stand up right now. If you raise your hand, stand up right now and come on down that we would pray for you. Go on ahead. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Come on down and just we're going to pray over you. If that's you tonight and you need to make things right with Jesus, that you come and speak to one of these pastors and you lay your burdens, you lay those things that are at your feet, you don't hesitate, but you come boldly before his throne. Anyone else, just come on down. There's some pastors over here. God bless you. 
And for the rest of us, you know, if you're here tonight and maybe you're just carrying a burden and it's tough, maybe turn to that person next to you and just say a prayer for them. Mikey and Lauren are just going to lead us in worship and, and let's, let's allow the Spirit to work. Maybe there's someone across the room you haven't seen in a while and God's prompting you to go pray for that person. Do it. Don't hesitate. Allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in this place. Say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. So as you worship him, worship your God. Worship him in spirit and in truth.